Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at whonewpodcast. And find us on Facebook. Today's episode is episode 8 of season 7, Cold War. The Doctor is on the hunt for the Red Planet's Crimson October Tide boot. It's a sub, people. The Doctor is trapped on a submarine. This episode is written by Mark Gaddis, directed by Douglas McKinnon. It originally aired on the 13th of April, 2013, and was watched by 7.37 million viewers. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's introduce ourselves. Elsie here. Hey, this is Josh. Hello, this is Frank. Hi, this is Brian. Hello, this is Comrade Auburn. In 1983, a Russian submarine is searching for oil at the North Pole. On board, an impatient sailor thaws out a strange block of ice that they found. An ice warrior, a native of Mars, bursts free from the ice, kills him, and attacks. The TARDIS lands on board as the sub is sinking, and the doctor tells the captain to move the sub laterally to an underwater ridge. Captain Zukov gives the order, and the sub stops its descent but the TARDIS leaves them behind. The doctor throws all pretense away and tells the captain and crew that he and Clara are time travelers. The ice warrior named Skaldek appears and the doctor tries to calm the situation, telling everyone to lower their weapons. But Lieutenant Stephenson electrically stuns Skaldek, who the doctor recalls as the greatest warrior Mars has ever produced. Now that they have attacked him, he will retaliate. F that impatient soldier, huh? Yeah. <laughs> right off the bat, I'm like, what are you doing? Which one? The one who melts the thing in the first place. Yeah. I'm like, that's not a mammoth. That's too small. <laughs> my, my boss said we're going to do this then, but I've decided we'll do it now. And there's oh. usually no consequences for insubordination in Russia. <laughs> well, also the fact that, oh, my boss thinks it's a mammoth that's frozen. Oh, I'm going to defrost it now in the middle of the submarine. In the middle of the submarine with an open flame in an oxygen-rich environment. He really wanted burgers that night. He's tired <laughs> of eating mammoth whatever. Burgers. Yeah. They're all doing the nuclear testing and running the drills. Yeah. For the, uh... Back then, it really was a pressure cooker. So it's like, I don't know what he actually thought the specimen was and why he's lying about the mammoth. I mean, that's obvious. Oh, really? Oh, I don't think he's lying about it. Oh, I think he was just by, I mean, I thought that character really knew how to play people and lied at a drop of a hat. <laughs> you know, he's like, he knew what to do. Uh... Oh, but like the look of it when you saw the knew... ice, it was almost humanoid form. Yeah, not so yep. you're saying he, he sort of knew what was up, but he told all the 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 soldiers, oh, it's it's a mammoth. It's a mammoth. Right. So. I agree, because it was more the captain that kind of offhandedly like brushed it aside. Oh, it's probably a mammoth. And the, the scientist, I think, gave a knowing look. <laughs> He's like, yes, yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the a captain and the scientist got it together. They, they knew the truth. Of, There's something really weird here, but we can't. The Vulcan. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm sorry, but are you talking about the guy who likes Ultravox? Of course! <laughs> He's not that bright. <laughs> hey, anybody who likes Ultravox is... Not that bright. Brilliant. <laughs> I thought this was a great cold open. It's it's kind of sets the situation without the Doctor. Those are the kind of the ones that I kind of like. Right. It was also really strange that it was only a small scene this time before the actual credits ran. I do appreciate that. <laughs> And are the credits new for this episode, or have I just not been really paying attention once I sit down and press play? You mean with the uh, the face of Matt Smith? The face and just the, the more gaseous uh, time tunnel. Uh, you me. have not been paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, that, that whole thing of the professor getting tapes of music, that was a thing in Russia because you had to kind of smuggle music in mm. because outside music at that time was like propaganda. Yeah. So I think at that time, they only allowed vinyl pressed records. Anything else was uh, like like bootleg. Oh, so a Walkman was like a big deal. Yeah. Uh, I like the use of the uh, model. This is, I think, the first time in modern Who that we have uh, models are back because before it was all CG. So it reminded me of uh, when we did uh, Warriors of the Deep with the Fifth Doctor. But this is done far better. <laughs> right. Yeah. So There's the submarine a little... was a model? 
Yes. Yes. There were a few little telltale signs here and there, but overall it was pretty good. Yeah. I like the look of it. I, I think especially all the underwater, the rocks falling, like even though it was modelish, it, it, it definitely took me back to those eighties like yeah. like yeah. almost like the abyss or something, mm-hmm. you know, where it's fun to see it actually on film or on tape, whatever it was. Yeah. No, I didn't even know that those were models. See, that's why it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it didn't bring attention to itself, which was, I think very much, and it was nice. The whole way it was shot, there were a lot of close-ups in this episode. A lot. To try and feel more claustrophobic to be in a sub. Yep. There were, uh, towards the end of the show, there's a lot of talking action in the last few episodes. The one with, um, you know, the um, the one with the planet sacrifice that we just did. Rings of like Akaten. Yeah, like there was a lot of, I'm going to explain what's happening. It's very exciting, but the camera's close on me, so we don't see anything else but me. And this had a lot of that too. Obviously, this lends itself toward that because it's a submarine. Right. But also, um, there were a number of, uh, reasonably well-known actors in this episode, so I think that took a lot of budget. Oh, you mean The Onion? Well, The Onion, and then also- Edward Tully. The the first officer, yeah. Stephenson, yeah. And then, um, was it Michael, David Warner? Oh my God, that's Edward Tully? Yeah, Yeah, that's David Warner. No, 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 Edward Tully is the first officer. No, the other guy. The scientist. The scientist. The scientist is Dave. We, yeah, we, yeah, he knows who David Warner is. Yes, uh, Stephenson is Edmund Tully. Oh, yeah, he is. Okay, so... Yeah, the actor is uh, Tobias Menzies. Menzies. I know him from Outlander. Mm. <laughs> and I know him from The Crown, where he plays he plays an older <laughs> Matt Smith. Yep. Oh, okay. I, I will say for a, uh, a story that takes place on a Russian submarine, they definitely wrote all these sailors very British. Like, yeah. they yeah. all felt like their attitude and everything was not the Russian, no. you know, stereotypical. It was definitely very still British, Britishness. Like, how well, scared they were of stuff, and it just didn't have that stiffness that, like, I guess is a device to to indicate, right. you know, the stoic Russians. But, yeah, they felt but, very, very British. But at least yeah, they, they had English accents as opposed to different accents. Like, yeah. you know. Like Hunt for Red October? Yeah, where it's a... Uh, <laughs> Sam Neill with his New Zealand accent and then Sean Connery with his Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> There's also one more, the so, the sailor who gets his head grabbed and pulled up into the ceiling. He's from the Nevers. Oh. Yes. Yeah, James Norton. So he was the radio or, or a sonar guy. Yeah, he was also John Brooke in Little Women, the newest one. So now that we've gone through the cast. <laughs> I know. Sorry, Eugene. Yeah, Eugene does the I end, just, but this one had so many people. Yeah, yeah I just that. kept recognizing people. We didn't realize at the time yeah, you know, yeah. when we first watched it. Yeah. I did think it was interesting. I know probably, you know, I'm not too up on this kind of information, but if you're holding a device that shoots electricity, don't stand in half a foot of water when yes. you do it. <laughs> yeah. I like how the TARDIS appeared and was like instantly wet. Like yeah, that was right. really cool because they, I think they intentionally did that. It was a close up on the TARDIS as it was appearing and it, it was wet. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah, we don't often see it get like affected by the environment like that. The doctor's exit, viva la, and then like, this is not Vegas. That was a bit too much of a Star Trek jarring when he got hit and ran out of the TARDIS. It just felt, you know, no actual motion. It was action, go to the left, go to the right, go back, go forward out of the yeah. TARDIS. <laughs> You know what I just realized? Not very many um, laughs in this episode. Like, I feel like that Viva Las Vegas gag was like the only real comedic thing. I mean, there were a few other lines, but it wasn't as farcical or as big as the Las Vegas line, which seemed a little bit out of place for this, but they did so quickly, it was like, fine. They were in a whole different mindset is what it got to me. Like they're in a whole different setting, they're a whole different mindset of what they're gonna do and then they get thrown into this. And then the TARDIS just leaves. Yeah. Like, we'll What's find out why. On? We'll find out why. Yeah, but yeah. it was it was so shocking at the time going, what happened? And then, I, I got a kick out of that. The TARDIS like, oh, I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> the TARDIS went like, nope. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> I got you here. I don't have to stay. Bye. <laughs> it was really nice that they got rid of the TARDIS and the screwdriver pretty quick. So you yes. had you had a doctor and a Clara that had to like use their wits. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I'll give it to you how he lost the screwdriver. I won't give it to you about how he lost the TARDIS, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to mention that this is the first televised story to feature the Ice Warriors since the monster of Peladon in 1974, I believe, with the third Doctor. So it's almost 40 years since that last episode. And like the Cybermen has been modernized in this revival, I enjoy this specific way that they updated the ice warriors because the helmet isn't too big the lego minifig hands that are like claws are gone the uh, fur is gone and the the weird large hips are gone <laughs> get judgy <laughs> but when you when you when you see the original one you'll be like that's not a good choice <laughs> I happened to just look up the uh, uh, the classic Who version of these Ice Warriors, and I think this is a really good updated interpretation. Uh, yeah, they look ridiculous back then, but uh, I like how they took the original and, and turned it into the. I was going to save that for the end, but I'll share it anyway so that the rest can see. So look at this. This does not look that threatening to me. Interesting. But oh. look at this this helmet. I don't like that helmet. Yeah. Right. And then there's one with like, Whoa. oh, that's later. That's, that looks that's like, like a predator, yeah. Predator, yeah. yeah, that's it. That's later though. Um, but yeah, okay. they're just... Unfortunately. Oh, here's I... the one with the, with the Lego minifig hands. See that? That's what I didn't right. like. Right. Like anywhere you see these uh, darker patches, that's where fur comes out of their armor. It's just weird. Ooh, that lips. wasn't their fur, was it? There was just fur lined to keep them warm. Whatever it was, Frank, I don't like it. <laughs> no, 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 well, I agree with you. I agree with you. But I, when you said they had fur, I kept thinking their bodies had fur. Yeah. They're supposed to be reptilian, and that made no sense. Yeah. I'm sure it's to keep warm. Okay. But look, at even Patrick Trump's like, this is what you came up with? <laughs> <laughs> well, just like two pictures down from what the main one is, has a woman with a fur collar. That's, uh, Vic that's Victoria. Victoria. Well, she, yeah. Huh. So it's like, that's what they're doing. Look at it. It's a <laughs> it's child just, ice warrior. <laughs> half of this episode, half of this serial is missing, but they have animated it. Mm. So now I want to see it. Maybe we should do that for a classic episode. Don't push it. So uh, I guess <laughs> I'll send out that calendar invite to everybody but Brian. <laughs> 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 because this one left him cold. Oh. <laughs> so were the things, I was wondering if, First of all, I was wondering if this was a past uh, alien from a, a classic Who. But were the things that the Doctor was uh, citing, were they in direct correlation with the original episode? No, this no. is all new to this um, particular version. But it was mm -hmm. nice that the Doctor re knew who this person was. Yeah, yeah. That was a nice, I know, there are easy, many times... quick way to get the exposition out. <laughs> yes. I, had, I, I was conflicted on that. Uh, to me, it was like, oh, of course, the one ice warrior that gets frozen in a block of ice for 5,000 years is the greatest warrior in the history of all ice warriors. I don't know. I think I would have liked it better. Of course, the Grand Marshal goes down with the ship, and that's where they found him. No? All right, that. that works. I'll I, give you that. I, I, uh, I, I thought something similar where I didn't think what you thought, Brian. thought anyone is going to survive a mass battle or something like that. It's going to be the greatest warrior, possibly. So Yeah. I, and what I do like is that that is a whole other story that could be told someday. Yes. Yeah. It is convenient. I will definitely give you that. Maybe he was just like Angeline and it was his own propaganda. And <laughs> you know, where he had pictures of him in his spaceship, like he's the greatest warrior. But no one ever saw him do anything. <laughs> the doctor pulls out stuff from his pockets, as we've seen before, that don't necessarily like fit. He just keeps pulling stuff out. Or they keep pulling stuff out as they search. Both him and Clara, there's a what looks like a Barbie doll, a caramel apple, and yarn. And uh, the 11th Doctor specifically mentioned reading about knitting in the Wedding of River Song. So that's kind of a weird, you can kind of mm. fit that in, that he, that yarn is there for a reason. But then he also comments that he's given up trying to figure out how things get into his jacket pockets since <laughs> angels take Manhattan. Oh, that's right. right. Yeah. What did he say? It was, his gla it was glasses or something like that? It was, was, it was the book. Remember he started the reading book? the book that River had written. Or, uh, oh, right. Written. Oh, I don't know. I, I stopped. Right, right, right. When they were in Central Park. Yep. By the way, who wants to take a bet that the Barbie doll's name is Rose? <laughs> and then he kisses it later. That's why the Barbie's name is Rose. <laughs> they chained Skaldic up, 
but he is still able to send out a signal to any remaining ice warriors. The doctor wants to talk to Skaldek, but the warrior would see the doctor or the captain as enemy soldiers, so Clara is sent in as a proxy. She talks with Skaldek, but soon realizes she is speaking to his empty suit. The doctor opens a hatch to get Clara out of there. Skaldek runs past them all and is free within the ship. There's no response to his signal. He is alone and he has nothing to lose. I now, do like I always lot. wonder why why if you can't send the captain and you can't send the doctor, why not send the professor? Yes, he's not the companion. Because there's something going on with the professor. That's how I felt. That like the captain doesn't want any of his people to go because it's dangerous. And he doesn't want the professor to go either because he'll smell the other soldier, because the professor also right. has some you know, it's kinda like Garrett. Yeah. You know, in sorry, oh, that's wow. a Star Trek reference. And that he knows a lot more than what he's letting on. In a, in a million years, I would never think that the professor has more to him than we think. Frank, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I was thinking maybe the the professor did serve. He retired or left the service and then came back in a civilian capacity. So he still has the soldier in him. Somewhere. Right. And and I love this whole dialogue I thought was really well done between Clara and the doctor. That's what I liked about the relationship between these two characters before you know the 12th before the fall 11th and clara i mean they had clara saying are we going to be okay he goes yes is that a lie she knows she's right there they write it quick it's that quick paced speaking it was she realizes she's speaking russian she goes i'm not speaking oh wait a minute am i speaking russian are we <laughs> speaking? why not are now. we doing this <laughs> yeah, but yeah. she's like <laughs> she's one step ahead of like donna was when donna says what do you mean i'm speaking yeah. you know there on, on Pompeii. And so she's there processing it really quickly. She's the Clara that I really liked, that we've seen up till now, which is great. And I always saw, I see it as when the doctor and the captain are talking about who to send in, the doctor wants to go because he has, he needs to be the one. You know, he knows right. the ice warrior. He knows a lot. He has all that information. The captain doesn't want him because he still doesn't trust him completely because how did you get here? Who are you? You're telling me the truth that you're a time traveler, but come on, this is way too much to expect me to believe in these few seconds while we're dying in the, in the submarine. But a soldier knows another soldier. I thought was a great line where he recognizes the doctor and what he has done where a good soldier goes to war. You know, that's part of who the doctor is. And the doctor to me was using reverse psychology to get Clara in there. You know, that seemed to me like, no, oh. Clara, you can't go, you can't do it because he knows oh, that's the, captain, right, yeah. <laughs> the captain's obvious. going to say, well, yeah. no, she's going, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I got a kick out of that. It was subtle, but uh, yeah. it was funny. But it seemed like the doctor and Clara both knew it. So I, mean, I love that interaction between them. That was one of those sitcom -y moments yeah. that kind of made me laugh on this uh, third, fourth time watching where you can't go in there, you can't go in there, and then cut to she's going in there. Right. So duck season, rabbit season, rabbit season, duck season, yeah. <laughs> or, or I think it's uh, Family Guy might have referenced F Troop, where it's like, we're not going to do that, we're never going to do that. And then they just do the thing that they said yeah. they weren't going to do. <laughs> uh, there's some good lines here, that because uh, we talked about exposition. There's a lot of talkiness going on in this episode, but I felt that the exchange between the captain and the doctor about who the Ice Warriors are felt not only exposition-wise for modern viewers who have never seen the Ice Warriors, but it felt very natural as well to who those who the doctor and the captain are. Yes. Because because he says, an ice warrior, explain. There isn't time, Captain. Try, and, and then he's like, try me. Martian reptile known as an ice warrior. When Mars turned cold, they had to adapt. Their biomechanics, cyborgs, built themselves survival armor so they could exist in the freezing cold of their home world. But a sudden increase in temperature and the armor goes haywire. Wow, you you just did something from like the 60s and the 70s. And you, you brought us up to speed on this classic villain. Yeah, it's a good elevator pitch. And yeah. you took the time to do it. <laughs> well, and then he wanted to keep going more. That was what was great. Like once yeah. he got rolling, it was like, oh, you got to stop yourself from yeah. from expositing. I don't think, Eugene, you'd have to remind me. Have we, have you and I, I don't remember seeing an Ice Warrior episode. You mean like classic? Classic. Yeah, I think the first episode was with the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton. And I think the, it's missing. The Ice Warriors, I think it's just... Yeah, I think it's missing. I don't think it's available. Yeah, and then their last appearance was the Peladon episodes, the Monster Peladon, and then I think there's another one before that with the... The Have you seen doctor. that? Because it doesn't ring a bell with me. Yeah, that's the one with that alpha blinky eye alien that we'll see later. Alpha Centauri? Yeah, that's his first appearance. Oh, yeah, I've definitely not seen that. Yeah, it's not great. No. <laughs> they named a character Alpha Centauri? Uh, yeah, and it's a, and the it's the 12th Doctor. You'll see. Yeah. Okay. And it's you'll not... go, what? <laughs> <laughs> 
right. That's when Moffat is really like, I don't care anymore. I'm throwing everything in. Uh, the moon the, is an the egg. kitchen sink. <laughs> the moon is an egg. Yes, the moon is an egg. I really like the the armor to get back to this episode. Yes. Like, um, <laughs> let's talk about what we're supposed yeah. to do. Yeah, but, but uh, Sorry. the the tension of like Clara realizing that what she thought was who she was talking to is just an empty suit is great, and then yeah. that that adds to like the like almost like alien like mm-hmm. or um yeah where something is loose you don't ever see it you only see like little things at the edges of the screen like but Jaws I, as well yeah no it, and that's that's why this is not a fun comedy episode this is a very tense i think uh yeah. you know episode because you never get to see the thing and so you're always waiting for just around the corner his, his voice is good too it's not it's definitely i'm the villain but it's not over the top yeah for children i'm the villain like some other aliens especially some we'll see soon um it was he felt like enough of a creature that it sounded like a creature but it didn't um but it still had the uh, the humanity we would want to hear yeah yeah as opposed to the other type opposite of what you're saying when oh it's just a british person talking in an outfit (laughs) yeah right well this is another reason why i like this version of the ice warrior because they're reptiles so they had that hissy sound to them in the classic and it just was not good I think this episode, back to what you were saying uh, a bit uh, a minute ago, Auburn, is very reminiscent of the Alien movies, uh, yep. the first two, on purpose. I like the spinny yellow lights. I know we didn't mention that, but they're all over the sub, and yeah, that's that's always great. Who's got the the smoke detector that needs a battery? I'm not uh, hearing it, and boy, that would oh, drive me crazy. Hey Google, stop. Oh, is it an alarm? <laughs> no, it's it's forest sounds. I forgot I had it on. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, no worries. I, I was just worried for your safety. <laughs> fire, and, and, you, and you have a smoke detector going just because, you know, it's so dry lately. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little bit of um, a history portion here, so I'll just read this. It's kind of, it's long. <laughs> Lieutenant Stephenson says, little green men from Mars, and he, and he gets corrected with, no, it's a big green man from Mars. In 1955, August 1955, eight years after the Roswell incident, there was a person, Lucky Sutton, and most of his family went from Pennsylvania and they drove down to a small farm where his mom lived in Kelly, Kentucky, where they encountered on the farm mysterious gray creatures, and they they... They were fearful, they shot at it, and then they, they got the police and the press to come in and, and check this place out. And they only, they didn't find any creatures, but the reporters, they uh, took down what they had uh, heard the family talking about. And the aliens were gray, but in the reporting from, I guess, taking notes down to publishing the newspaper articles, there was a typo that made it little green men, not little gray men. So that's where we get little green men from is that 1955 incident that's why um every time you see gray aliens or we we associate uh, aliens and aliens abductions with the 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 big heads that are gray not green but every time we see comics or cartoons it's always little green men interesting that's cool (laughs) so a typo made little green men a thing And all the gray people were just in a hell spa and in a mud bath drying off. <laughs> okay, that failed. <laughs> no, no, there's crickets no, from Josh's okay. sounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. We were just pausing to give Eugene a good cut for the edit later. Thank you. <laughs> there was another reason Clara had to be the one to go in. Because if it was anybody else from the ship, they would never have opened the door. They wouldn't have wanted anyone to come out because oh, they would yeah. let the creature they out. They sacrificed him. But for Clara, mm-hmm. she had to get out. They're all trying to get her out. The captain even held the gun on um, the, the doctor. doctor. Yeah. We went to go try and get Clara. But then he says, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, it's like, you seem to be the one who knows this. So he let him do it. I did like I that just... character moment where he stops the doctor with force, but then realizes, no, there's something here that you need to take care of. I am out of my depth, right. unintended. <laughs> uh, so then this is the part where she does let Skaldak leave, right? Doesn't let him leave. He just runs leave. past as she yeah. opens the door. The yeah. Hatch. 
So after they discover that the suit is empty and then Skaldek escapes that chamber, Clara asks the doctor, how did I do? And the doctor goes, this wasn't a test. So it just reminds us of this conversation that we've been having since the Bells of St. John is the doctor testing Clara. Mm. And I just thought that it was, I, I had forgotten about that. Yeah, it was nice to pick up on that again. And it was kind of nice to like place it because I always thought this episode was so bottle, mm. not affected by outside other episodes. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like, oh yeah, he's still trying to figure out who she is. And she knows it now. And so right. it's, she's like, okay, tell me how I'm doing. Because I'm not going to be some replacement for another woman. Right. What I do like about this episode, I mean, I'm talking a little ahead, but where it's, 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 it's kind of, it, it's teaching her a lesson in a way. This is, she's all incarnations of her up to this point have been so adventurous and headstrong. And this is so the first time where she's actually started to look really scared and, and, and react to that. And then a little bit after in the story of where we are at the moment, that kind of culminates like, this is, this is a reality now and it's actual danger, not, not just adventure. I just, in this specific episode, in this specific episode, I just wish it had been written a little better or filmed a little better. Because to me, it's it's too much of flipping a switch. Mm, yeah. It it's it's and, and I'm not saying it wouldn't have been that quick. I wanted it. Uh, I some sort of little transition hint before she says something for me would have been nice. Where she's just kind of like sitting on the edge of that that open door, going, "What did I just do?" And not and reading it on her face. She did a great job, I think, too, Jenna Coleman, and looking terrified. But I will say this: this is I, this is a total pedantic, total pedantic, annoying little thing. But they send her in because she's not a soldier wearing a soldier's coat over her. I thought that. <laughs> but I also thought like this warrior is gonna know she's not a soldier. So shut up, Josh. Submarine is slipping from the ridge, letting in more water as Skaldak begins his retaliation. He captures Stephenson, who tries to convince Skaldak that peace doesn't suit them. They are both warriors and can work together to get out of this situation. Meanwhile, Clara and the Doctor discuss history and time being in flux rather than set. They search the ship for Skaldak, but he is one step ahead and begins killing the crew, dismantling them to study human weaknesses. After they find the bodies, the Doctor leaves Clara and Professor Grisenko to track Skaldak. But Skaldak doubles back and attacks Clara as the professor pulls out a gun and shoots at him. Skaldak grabs Grisenko, but does not kill him. He tells them that the people of Earth have forfeited their lives by attacking him, and he plans to use their nuclear missiles on board to create a nuclear war. He summons his suit, enters it, and proceeds to the missile controls. I, I do Who remember enjoy... 1983. That was a fun <laughs> we're gonna die time. <laughs> oh, Eugene, you were like two. No. <laughs> I remember. Because my brother was born. I remember that. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm being a little reflective. Um we had we had the, the earthquake drills where you got <laughs> under the desk for the for the you know earthquakes and away from the breaking glass of the windows. And all of us were like, I thought we did this for nuclear war. Why aren't we like, doing this for nuclear war? Yeah, it was. Nuclear war is not gonna do anything, but we still had to do that to get under the tables. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> what point is this? I mean, you know, we're all gonna melt. Exactly. And to this day, to this day, one of my recurring nightmares is atom bombs going off because of growing up in the 80s. Happy, happy, joy, joy. <laughs> You're like Sarah Connor. I mean, that was, I mean that, was the, that was the trauma of our, our it was our day-to-day -day trauma. But like nuclear war just felt like it was every day, any day, at any time, never ending. There, there was a conscious enemy. So I'm it was surprised. like kind of watching, kind of watching this kind of makes me like, yeah, we were really lucky. That I mean, it, it, it. Ugh. Yeah, you clarified the question because you said, "Who remembers 1983?" I was like, "I do." Yeah. <laughs> not, not the the dread of 1983. <laughs> <laughs> the professor had the gun and had it ready. He was a quick draw on that. So that's what also leaves me to go. He's more than just a scientist. And and see, he pulled out what is like an American revolver. I associate with that. But he likes Western music. So I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that that's actually okay. Yeah. I would expect him to pull out some sort of like a Mauser broom handle, some Eastern European weapon. Or Jack's yeah, gun. And I was like, it's not Jack's gun. <laughs> I, I think the subtext around the professor, I mean, if he's 83 Soviet Union and he's 
on a military submarine with Western forbidden items, that means he is uh, powerful in the party. Like, you know, like in 1984, it's not the people that are wearing the uniforms you have to worry about. It's the people that look just like you, but think just like the party that you really have to, they're the ones that are, are the most dangerous. Yeah. I think that's where the professor kind of, like maybe not in this episode really, but if we were to have an, another part to it, we would we would expose his true evilness. Yeah, he could have been a spy there. living in America for a long yeah, time. Yeah, he fits that archetype, if you will, of what we associate Cold War Russian KGB agents to be. Mm -hmm. um, but Clara talks about how this is going to be okay because she lived past 1983. So new, uh, World War III did not happen. So I like that they have a little bit of time travel talk where the doctor goes, well, time is in flux. It doesn't really work that way. It can be rewritten. Which brings us back to, uh, is it the Shakespeare Code? Where I think Martha brings up something like this and then Waters of Mars and then the Wedding of River Song. So it's something that the doctor has used as an explanation before and I like how it came out sort of, uh, maybe naturally is not the best way to do it, but since Clara's new, she can ask that question that somebody like, if Amy was in this episode would already know. And Amy would already know the time being rewritten. Yeah. We see that often. Well, I like it because from Clara's point of view, it's like, why is, why are you, do we need to freak out? We know it didn't happen. And I like how the doctor very quickly says, oh no, it could still happen and we need to deal. And, and to me, that seems very, whereas Amy, Martha, Donna had their moments and learned it later on. This was Clara's way of learning that. Yeah. It, it's weird. Like sometimes it works and this time it did work. So, cause yeah. we bring it up when it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I have a couple things at this point. The first one is um, he's, uh, the Ice Warrior certainly gives up on his signal really fast. You know, it's like, I sent the signal out and what is it, 10 minutes later, no signal return. I'm gonna kill you all. So I kind of rationalized that as he waited long enough for the signal to reach Mars and come back. And when he didn't hear back after a period of getting to Mars, it's like, oh no, they're not on Mars, they're dead, I'm alone. So that's how I rationalized that. Um, and then my other thing at this point is, if the suit could break the chains, why dishonor himself by leaving the suit to begin with? And my rationale, because you know I do that, is oh, yeah. he couldn't break it with the suit. He had to be outside the suit to break the chain. And then he got back into the suit later. So he, he when he was doing that whole, uh, going around the whole ship and killing people and just being fear free that they couldn't find him, he had released the chains, you know, so that the suit was in free. But where he had to get to was still small and quicker to go through as himself without the uh, suit. Okay. All right. So I was thinking that he's this whole it's, it was a ruse to bide his time to learn about the enemy. Oh, that he could break out, but that he could have broken out, or maybe he couldn't right away. But then when he did, he just left the suit, did some reconnaissance, you know, tore some people apart, looked inside their bones, and then came back. That's good. He knows that everybody he's ever known is dead because it's been 5,000 years. He sent out the message, the signal, and didn't get it back. So that's when he said, this dishonor is not as bad as I have to retaliate because that is the major code. You attack one of us, you attack us all. I'm the only one to left to reach to do that. So it's like, well, that's higher priority than being dishonored to get out of the suit. And so it's like, leave the suit to go along with what Joss said, to um, get the information as a, you know, a distraction of the suit so he can do all this stuff because he has to have them pay the price. Also to like the, the end of the episode especially tells us that he's not just some angry creature. He's is a highly intelligent strategic thinker. Yeah. So um, you know, all the things that we're talking about are possible. We're just used to, I'm a monster, I'm chained, I break out. You know, not every villain is a Frankenstein, mon Frankenstein's monster. So um, this actually reminded me of um, some classic Who's. For some reason, Tom Baker get popped, in, popped into my head where there was a lot of semantic debate and arguing between that doctor in particular, the, who's Tom Baker, the fourth doctor? No, fourth. yeah? Yeah, fourth. fourth that, the fourth doctor and, and, and others, but a lot of semantic, angry semantic debate with the uh, uh, the bad guys of the shows. And this reminded me a lot of that, taking up a lot of, uh, you know, the a lot of the action of those episodes ends up being in our imaginations because of the words they are saying. Mm -hmm. uh, and I enjoyed it. It just remi it reminded me of that. There a lot of very touches of Rod, Rod Serling, yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, I, I, the irony in, in man's point of view and such. Since they didn't show the creature all complete, you get to see the head later on. 
and the face, something going by and then the hands. And it just reminded me when I was watching it of Saboba from Star Wars, you know? So he's just got a head and these arms, leg thing that he's using, <laughs> just sort of, what does his body actually look like? And then it made me think a Dalek a bit. This is kind of the same idea of a smaller creature in this, mm -hmm. you know, cyborg or mechanical body. I didn't get that before with the other Ice Warriors in the classic. I didn't get that look. I kept thinking of more as human. Because yeah, uh, Mark Gaddis, the writer of this episode, has been trying to get the Ice Warriors into Modern Who. Mm. And Stephen Moffat was like, no, they're, they're silly looking. Just no. Because they, he associates, Classic Who is associated with like the lumbering big monster with the Ice Warrior. When Gaddis said, no, that's just their armor. They're actually like a salamander inside that armor. Moffat was like, Okay, you sold me. Go forward with that uh, with that episode of yours. Yeah. And how fast they are outside the armor. Mm. Yes. It was very different, which surprised me. And then the armor, they slow motion the armor. So it's definitely lumbering big. Yeah. And it, the bullets don't do anything. There's a there's a moment of levity in this, or something that I, again, liken to a sitcom-y moment. After Skaldek escapes the chamber that they're in, the, the sub is like unsettled on that ridge. The captain goes, what can he do, referring to Skuldek? He's stuck down here with the rest of us. How bad can it be, doctor? Uh, he, then he, the doctor replies, the sub is fat with nuclear missiles. What do you think Skaldak's going to do when he finds that out? How bad can it be? How bad can it be? It couldn't be any worse. Then the ground starts to shake and the their footing starts to deteriorate and the water comes down and he goes, Okay, spoke too soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Going to the complete opposite, when they discover the remains of the, I guess, not Stephacid, but the next guy that Skaldak killed in this part, like oh. the remains that oh. are right. all spread out, like that he dis this uh yeah. disassembled a, a person yeah. and the way that the doctor and clara and everybody react they look so wide <laughs> in that space yes like i'm only imagining that this is such a gruesome like poor clara she is just messed up i mean to dismember a person and have it displayed out is not a pretty scene i'm glad they didn't show anything but mm -hmm. when you actually stop and think about what they're implying yeah. there it's it's pretty intense it is and well, that's why i really like her reaction to it as well yeah, yeah. theater of the mind yeah really skirted the line well I yeah this episode um alburn when you mentioned the guy that got uh torn apart did the doctor look at the uh his wallet with the picture because that was i think that was stephenson that was stephenson. Uh, oh, oh yeah it was okay yeah they had Stephenson, and then there was another guy that got grabbed right that before was, yes. james norton member. It was yeah. the sonar guy uh, that, later on that's who they found with clara so that when Onegan by himself. So Onigan? when the ice soldier uh so when Skaldak says to Stephenson, you're going to help me, or he says I'm going to Yeah, use when he you, says that's, that he's that's what he means. Yeah, he kills he means, him. Oh, okay. I didn't like the bit with the wallet. I found it very trite. Why would you carry your wallet on your on a submarine? Also that blood splatter, like the wallet I don't know, it just looked like placed there. Yeah. yeah, it was it was very I mean, I get it, but it was it, it, it took me out of the moment because you see it in every 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 everything. Everything, yes. Yeah, it's just that his he's so unrecognizable in what was left. Though the one uh effects that I did not like were the hands with um Stephenson and then later like Oh, the hands on the face? Like yeah, the, the whole, it was yeah. a little rubbery and you could tell the actor could have done many things to get out of that grip, but it was like, yeah. just so like- It the, felt it, placed on their it head. Was it was prosthetic, like yeah. 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 Yeah, it didn't feel well, alive. Well, because you saw the nails, they were clearly molded on, but painted. Yeah. So they weren't like a separate element of latex. So that's what yeah. threw me out. The, the animatronic or whatever, the practical effect itself looked pretty good, I, I think but it's just in context when they actually used it, it's exactly what you guys are, are saying. Yeah. So, and then again, it's just like, but they don't know until on the day. It's like, well, this is what we got. Then what do you do? You just got to shoot yeah, it and yeah. go, yeah. And I'm on the opposite side, because I liked the hands. No. Um, <laughs> I, I liked it. The problem that I had was because we didn't see the whole form of what an ice warrior looks like. They didn't seem to match later on the face. Right. Uh, but I, I I enjoyed the slight cheesiness factor of it uh, because it's Doctor Who. Like I almost I think it's great when some episodes are so slick, just like a movie. But I also like the fun of like winking at the audience, like 
yeah remember when this used to be bubble wrap and trash bags right you know there, there is a sense of fun to that so yeah yeah and that's the only like the only thing that i would have ding ding in this episode is is that and even that is a passing you right. know <laughs> passing effort like the hands bugged me, but what bugged me even worse was how Skaldak was moving around this submarine and coming out of the ceiling because submarines do not have <laughs> headroom. There's nothing above. There's not a set. There's not pipes like in a building. It's the, the ceiling. So that was the other thing I wanted to mention that took me out only because like I know submarines are very small and cramped. But that's why he reminded me of Sebulba, and that he's not really a large thing, just large arm. But he's pulling people up. I know, into I know, I know, like, I know, <laughs> I know. I totally agree with you. That's why I was trying to visualize it. He's eating them as like they come up. But the only reason they did that is because of the aliens' uh, homage. Yeah. It's like, come on, guys. The doctor tries to reason with Skaldin. If he goes through with this, he is no longer a warrior, but a murderer. This doesn't work, so the doctor threatens him. Threatens them all by using his sonic to set off the missiles inside the submarine before they can launch. It's a standoff. Clara questions Skaldek as to why he showed compassion by not killing the professor before, but won't show that same compassion now. At that moment, a beam grabs hold of the submarine, pulling it to the surface. It is an ice warrior ship that overheard his signal. The doctor says that it's over, that Skaldak's people have saved him. Skaldak is transported to the other ship, but the warheads on the missiles have already been activated. The ice warriors only need to send a pulse to deactivate them. Pulse arrives, but to everyone's relief, it shuts down the missiles. So this ending was why I didn't remember liking this episode? Me too. Yeah, I felt that the episode was moving along pretty well until the end, and it wraps up way too quickly. And that's what I remembered. There's no and then, drama. And then re-watching it this week, I don't like that the doctor uses, tries to reason with Skaldak using words as a weapon, but then he also then threatens uh, with the mutually assured destruction. And I, and I get it. You're using that analogy of the Cold War with the standoff between Skaldak and uh, destroying the Earth, basically. And, and then now I thought about what we've been discussing, and then it takes Clara to reason with him, bringing up his daughter's memory. It all just made me think that they're just stalling yeah. because the the ship, the Ice Warrior ship, just comes in and beams them out of the, the, the ridge that they're stuck in. And then Skaldak is now reunited with his people and he's gonna stop killing. So it just felt very rushed. I, I almost wish that there was an extended director's cut of this that would have taken it into a more uh, naturally paced third act or fifth act depending on Skull, which structure Skaldak, you're following. Skaldak does nothing Yeah. this final bit. Nothing. All it is is he's standing there, and the doctor tries to reason with him. He doesn't respond. He tries to threaten him. He doesn't respond. Clara tries to be sympathetic with him, and he doesn't respond. And then he gets beamed away. I mean, that could but There's work. nothing there. But the, they could have shown him on the ship contemplating what he's... Uh, there's just something missing. Like, that could have worked. But in the execution that we're given, it doesn't. Totally agree. Well, I, the, yeah, the deus ex machina of yeah. having somebody come in at the last minute and save everybody is never satisfying. And there was also, you know, a lot of setup in this with um, Skaldek, like, taking taking apart people to figure out more about them. Also, the, the music, Hungry Like a Wolf. Like, there was a lot of setups that something could have paid off here to, like, yeah. solve it, but yeah. nothing did, which is also unsatisfying. Yeah, it even reminded me of when we did Edge of Destruction, like the nuclear launch button was stuck. The spring was stuck. <laughs> That's how this works. Like it could have been something comical like that, but I don't know. Yeah, it, there, it when you realize when when we get to this point, it's really like, oh my God, there is no plot because the plot of this episode is a submarine with an ice warrior on it is stuck at the bottom of the sea. A ship shows up and saves them. But this was the bad end writing. Skaldak never responded. Skaldak was reasoned to. Didn't say a word. Didn't even say no. Didn't say a word. He was threatened. Didn't say a word. Didn't even say bring it on. 
And then Clara says, you know, you had compassion. Why did you turn around and have compassion? He doesn't say a word. He doesn't say, what compassion? I was getting ready to kill the guy. He says nothing. He just gets beamed away. There's no point to any of that dialogue. And that could have been the entire episode. Avskaldek's logic of his own people and the honor code of his own people respond to all three of those different things. And at the end, maybe be like, all right, you humans aren't so bad. But we got none of that. We just got him looking at these people and then at the appropriate moment getting beamed out. I felt them turning off the nukes uh, at, at the end was that answer. Could it have been better? Yeah. Well, I'm glad but... it worked for you. <laughs> and... And I agree with Eugene in that we didn't see it. And the one thing I disagree with you, Brian, you had said it was a bad script and I disagree with you. I think it was a really well-written script. I think it wasn't executed well because of the CGI. You couldn't see any emotion or thought or anything on uh, Skaldak's face where other actors could portray that without the words. And I think maybe the writer was writing it that way because they did seed things with Clara and him when they were speaking alone and he was telling of his daughter when they were singing about the red snow and they were connecting and her bringing that back at the end. I think there were things for him to think about but it was not shown in any way on his reaction. He did not have lines at yeah. that point to actually say it and whoever was they didn't come together well. I yeah. think that's more the director of going, we need to understand why he's changing his mind. Uh, I think, I agree I agree with both of you. I, I think there's that, Frank, and I'm, but I'm on Brian's side too, I think, especially with Moffat, you know, a lot of, over our, many of our episodes, we always say like, they just put one sentence in. Right. Um, but and sometimes yeah. I think they put that sentence in, but they, they, they're, I'm totally speculating and I'm being a little bit of a, a jerk about it. Like, I think they are so up on themselves as to, well, we put something on paper so that'll fix everything you, you know the, they they feel like the weight of their own scripted words sometimes carries more weight than the audience feels right um so yeah, because, agree. because i didn't i was really ready to disagree with you brian but as you kept talking i was like you're right so it's there but it's not done well but it sort of was but it wasn't written badly they're, but it, it, they're it's playing just, they're playing on that the audience is picking up on the cliched <laughs> motif People are, you know, get your compassion, realize you have compassion, realize you have compassion. And not outside Doctor Who, I'm just saying in TV and movies in general, that we as a, a viewer automatically goes, oh, they're trying to tell us to be compassionate. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what they were doing with yeah. the wallet. The whole thing with him having a daughter talking to Clara about his daughter, I was like, oh, okay, I get it, but okay. And then we see the picture of the daughter in the wallet. Like there's this, there's this heavy reliance on that trope yeah um, and i bought it while i was watching i bought right into it except for the wild things so shoehorned in there um and and again i, I like this episode i don't know I, I like the it's a bottle episode it has just enough cheese that makes me like it and as the acting is really good i mean like what's the fellow the onion night what's his, the actor? liam cunningham so wonderful um and uh david warner I, I i forgot david warner was in this so when he popped up i was like warner's spending time doing doctor who did he just buy a house um <laughs> or a mansion or whatever um not that doctor was bad but i would think david Warner. and you get my point anyway yes. uh so uh uh i think i was just saying that um some of the presentation of this episode was so great that stuff where it really felt was light it, I just didn't notice it until you guys brought it up. Well, I think that this Welcome episode... Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this episode in particular has a very big middle, right? Like, we even noticed the cold open is like, get it done, set us up, and we're out. And then you get rid of the TARDIS, and then you don't even have time at the end to get the TARDIS back. Like, it's yeah. just, you know, so the beginning and the end are very, very, like, not what this episode is about. It's... I think this episode was pitched as alien on a submarine, but oh, alien yeah. smart. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. they're like, oh, hey, go with it. Can you get it to me by yeah. Monday? That's what Gaddis did after he sold Moffat on the idea of revitalizing the ice warrior. He said it's going to be like alien on the submarine. Mm. Well, that's exactly what they did. So as long as you can get that in there, the beginning, the end, uh, you know, yeah, you got, yeah, yeah. you need them, but they aren't important. Honestly, though, Brian, set in 1983, the era of Deus Ex Machina movies, it kind of is very fitting. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Everyone was coked up. It was an homage, yeah. How, how are we gonna get out of this? I don't know. Then the aliens come and they and and they save everyone. It's <laughs> it was all a dream. <laughs> That's why the water—they were in the shower when it all happened. 
Well, uh, Brian, I agree with you that there needed to be some reaction from Skaldak, especially when, why did you show mercy to the professor? Yes, because I want an answer him? to that. That needed to be answered. That needed to be addressed yeah. somehow. Yeah. Because when he got beamed up to his ship, I don't, it seemed like because he turned off the uh, missiles, he never told anybody. The rest of his people don't know that oh. he was attacked. So they're not okay. going to retaliate. It needed that something from Skaldak that we never got. And we got it, I guess, off screen yeah. by him turning the keys to all that. But So what if what if Skaldak what if Skaldak when he was like, Why did you save the professor whoever was Skaldak was like, Because he saved me from the five thousand year sleep. Would that would have <laughs> would that would have been satisfying? Mm. He's the one. Or maybe he likes Ultravox me too. up. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Duran Duran is also my favorite band. <laughs> Hungry? Is that who did Hungry Like a Wolf? Yeah. I Actually, don't... something okay. just hit me. Something just hit me with, I don't want to forget this, and I know I will. Eugene, you were saying that this was this was Gaddis's attempt to bring back the Iceman? Yes. Into the, into the lore? Yeah. Well, maybe they realized we can't have Skaldak respond, because if we do, it weakens... The, the ice, ice warriors. The ice warriors. Yeah. Oh. Because they're saving him. Because it is kind of like if you had suddenly had a board go. I'm not going to kill you. You mean Hugh? Hugh. And that weakens the Borg for the rest of the Borg's time. So it's like, okay, we want to introduce this e these villain, not evil, villain characters, but we can't have them be compassionate at the end. Because they want to use them for future. Because they want they want to use them for the future, but the problem is it didn't work. Yeah, but I work. like that way of thinking. I just, it was only because of Eugene, because Eugene saying that Gaddis wanted to reintroduce the concept of the race, the characters. And it's like, well, why wouldn't they have him be compassionate? Oh, because they want to show him again. I mean, I think that makes total sense that they wanted to save the Ice Warrior. Let's reintroduce and save them for something later down the line. Yeah. So I, th with that in my mind, I can totally now accept that, uh, that Deus Ex Machina ending. The the only thing bad writing. Yeah, I, I, I I'm gonna go back to bad writing because he was <sighs> written he was written so intelligent. Yes. Right? Like he's not a dummy. He he has familial connections. Like he mourned the loss of his old life and his daughter. And we also have like some other examples recently of good aliens that come back and they aren't like they're weak or they're they're more well-rounded like the Salorians, you know, they weren't like they were okay to have weaknesses and to be more human, but they still come back because that's what you love about them. You know, you don't need your your villains or your races to be all bad. I think, you know, maybe if they had shown some compassion, we would have had more Ice Warrior episodes because they would have been real things and not. Yeah. Well, if you had done it well, you could have reintroduced an evil race and still have us feel compassion for it because that's what they did with Dalek. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. So like they've done it before. That's why it's like, I, yeah. I, I understand your argument and I like it, but I'm not giving them that much credit. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, like, the other thing I thought of was every time they explain why these particular team of Daleks is different because they were affected by the time war or they're the cult of Scarrow. It's they could have done something with this is a particular like battalion of ice warriors that I don't know. We're just different. You mean like like the next generation did eventually with Hughes. Yes. Hughes Borg. <laughs> like it's been done. They could have done that here. Yeah. They go topside and see the ice warriors spaceship. Clara asks about the TARDIS, and the doctor confesses that he fiddled with the TARDIS's hostile action displacement system. So if the TARDIS is attacked, it relocates but they are bound to find it eventually. The sonic screwdriver blares because it has located the TARDIS at the South Pole. <laughs> and we all freeze frame and laugh. <laughs> you know, it's funny because Matt Smith's like, he's like, oh. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> no, that was good. That was good. The the Ice Warrior spaceship was giving me um, strong Stargate vibes. Like <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I get it. Like that's the least important part of the episode. Yeah, I'm sure they pulled something. And the uh, Tardis's heads hadn't been used in donkey years, he says. Right. And it yeah. hadn't been used since the episode the Crotons or the Crotons with the Second Doctor in 1969. 
Again, just a plot contrivance to make them trapped on the submarine. Yeah. But it makes this, I think, the first time in a while that we do not see the interior of the TARDIS. Right. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, just real quick, did, did, uh, w aside from our, uh, uh, our, our, our poll, did you guys enjoy this episode? I fell asleep both times I watched it. <laughs> I kind of, there was a couple it's... paragraphs there that I slept through. But only towards the ending, right? Like the, the no, character stuff. It was in the stuff... middle each oh. time. It was between uh, Stepin, Step, Stepson or whatever. And his, it, I, I missed the dismemberment thing. Mm. Like I, I, I have no oh. memory of the wallet. I don't know what you guys are talking about there. Cause I, I think I fell asleep both times. The first time I didn't wake up until the the nu nuclear standoff. And then the second time I woke up when he takes his helmet off and I was like, oh, I didn't see this last time. <laughs> oh, they show his face. Oh, it's kind of weird. Where'd the teeth come from? I like the helmet coming off and that his face was a little bit bigger and it like, yes. yeah, it was, like was a, neat. it was like a drop of gravity because it got, I did, I was sucked. surprised because earlier on they show you his face in shadow. Is that when he was talking to the first, uh, yeah. first yeah. officer? Yeah. And that I really liked. Uh, yes. And when they showed it at the end, I thought it was decent enough. I, I was personally distracted by how still the armor, like how he was not moving except for his face, obviously because of the limitations, but in generally effective was decent enough but I, I enjoyed the episode but i didn't, didn't really feel anything from it which is what i usually like about the show that even in some sh episodes that i don't think are very good i will feel something this one was just a little bit of a romp yeah hmm. i always remember whenever i think about this episode it's oh i like that episode i like that episode and then i mean but i haven't seen it in a while not because i was avoiding it just i haven't seen it in a while and watching it now and i think because of the podcast it goes down Mm. because I'm getting I'm, because now I like Matt Smith more and this episode has incredibly good dialogue I mean there's some great back and forth that I absolutely love and now it's beginning to frustrate me because why can't you do that with every aspect of these episodes and so watching it again I really it really dived it really went down pun intended <laughs> dived ah, yeah. you, you didn't mean to do either of those shut up <laughs> okay, Brian, what if after Skaldak went up to the ship, he beamed down a message, the only way to win is not to play, and then turned <laughs> off the nuclear codes? Or what if he said in the message, or it was, you, you okay. unlocked my heart. Did you miss the whole War Games reference? No, I, I, I get I get you. You have this character that the Doctor talks about so much of their code and their, their the honor of the way right. they look at things. And then, honestly, nothing comes of that because literally it's a human being going, but, but, but you felt for the professor. And, and I mean, we get no debate, we get no agreement, we get we get no, I mean, debate him on his terms. That's why I kind of like it when the doctor threatens it, because it's like now the doctor is speaking to him in language that he can understand. It's like, don't, you know, you're a murderer, you're a murderer, you're a murderer. Okay, you're trying to go for his code, but his code is you've attacked me, you're all dead. So right. you're already beyond that point. So now it is like, okay, fine. You're going to kill all of us. We'll kill you at the same time. Do you go for mutually assured destruction? Let's find out. Plus his Sonic now is red, which was really fun. Um, but nothing, I don't get a response from him. I want a response. From, I want his character to be a character and he's not a character. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you made that War Games reference, Frank, because I always confuse David Warner or the actor who plays the scientist in War Games with David Warner. In every, it, I do that all the time with all of their, their things. It's like, oh wait, David Warner was in Labyrinth. Oh no, that's, that's John, what's his name from War Games. <laughs> I do that all the time. So Liam Cunningham, as we discussed, plays Captain Zukov. He was, uh, as we mentioned also, Sir Davos Seaworth in Game of Thrones. And most recently, he's the voice of Duncan in Masters of the Universe Revelation. Uh, Tobias Menzies plays Lieutenant Stephenson. He is Villiers in Casino Royale, Prince Philip in The Crown. We mentioned Edmund Tully in Game of Thrones, Frank Randall in Outlander, and Jack Randall. And then he was uh, Liam Monroe in the Black Mirror episode, The Waldo Moment, where they get this uh, character to run for office, if you remember that one. Yeah. Uh, Josh O'Connor plays Pytor, Prince Charles in The Crown, and James and Peaky Blinders. James Norton plays Onegan, and he was John Brooke in Little Woman. And 
Uh, he plays Hugo Swan in The Nevers. Charlie Anson plays Belovish. He was Larry Gray in Downton Abbey. To me, Just, he looks like a cross between Arthur Williams and Peter Capaldi. Yes, especially his <laughs> first line. And the doctor. His first, his like screaming, I got very Capaldi vibes from that. Yeah, there was, there was just something in the eyes that we had. Yeah. was like, oh my gosh. Spencer Wilding plays the uh, physicality or the, the guy in the costume for Skullback. We've previously seen him as the creature slash Minotaur in the God Complex, the Wooden King in the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe, and Darth Vader in Rogue One. He's, a, he's probably a really tall guy. I didn't look how tall he was, though. Uh, Nicholas Briggs does the voice of Skaldak, and he's usually the Dalek voice. Mm. I know I recognize that name. I happen to notice it in the credits. David Warner plays Professor Grisenko, and this guy has just been working forever. <laughs> he was uh, Chancellor Gorkin in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, Gull Madrid. Gull Madrid, yeah. In Star Trek The Next Generation, the episode Chain of Command. Spicer Lovejoy in Titanic. That's the James Cameron Titanic. Sark and Dillinger in Tron. Lord Aslock in The Doctor Who Dreamland, if you remember doing that animated mm -hmm. episode. He, was, he voiced Alpha in the Men in Black animated series, which I think is far better than any sequel that they ever released. Uh, he's the voice of Ra's al Ghul in Batman the Animated Series. Oh, oh. He was Jor-El in Lois and Clark. He was the evil genius in Time Bandits. Yeah. And Jack the Ripper in Time After Time. Right. right. He was and also then the, the Omen. Yes. Hell yeah. Yeah, he got beheaded. Alburn, <laughs> have I seen Undiscovered Country? Probably. Is that where they go to Earth? No, that's oh, one where they meet God, or they thought they did. No, 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 no. no Undiscovered no. Country is the one with the Klingons. The war. Yeah. But Josh is not. Josh is not wrong. David Warner is also in Star Trek V, where they discover God. He plays Sinjin Talbot. Oh yeah, on the planet. And then he. Then when they did Star Trek VI, they gave the role of Gorkon to him as an apology for having him being in Star Trek V. Aww. So he's literally in two Star Trek movies back to back, but completely different characters. He's also in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. He's the scientist. <laughs> <laughs> I want to mention that the DVD has commentary from Mark Gaddis, Murray Barber, who is the, un he's like the unofficial, uncredited uh, visual effects supervisor. And then Jenna Powell, who is the visual effects producer for this particular episode. And she did the Ice Warrior ship at the end. Mm. It's also, good. Yeah, but just weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it what I fit the aesthetic of yeah, the whole show. That's what I was gonna say. It doesn't. I don't associate that with what the Ice Warriors ship would have looked like. But all right. right. Um, all the eight, '80s synth pop that is brought up in this episode is from Mark Gaddis's personal preferences and experiences and likes from growing up and listening to all those bands. Yeah, yeah it sounds very Mark Gaddis. And he says I'm surprised that he didn't bring up Frankie. Frankie goes to Hollywood. Goes to Hollywood. <laughs> I'm sure he liked them too. And uh, he says that Hungry Like the Wolf is his go-to karaoke song. So that's why it's in this episode. <laughs> okay, that explains it. So Cold War, who is this episode good for? Or more specifically, this episode is good for who? A new viewer, a casual viewer, a fan of the show, or a diehard? Um, I'm going to give this one to a new who viewer. I think anybody could turn this episode on and get the gist of it. It's a bottle episode. You don't need to know much about what's going on in the broader who universe. Um, they explain time travel. They explain the era that they're in. They explain the villain. And, you know, it's its own encapsulated little story. So I think a new who viewer could, could follow this and, you know, come out at the end going, okay, all right, I see where you're going. But I don't like it. I'm also going to put it in a new category. Uh, again, I wouldn't have shown this to somebody, but if it's on, it is encapsulated. They don't mention anything about the impossible girl. You know, they hint at it now that, and if you know it, you know, when she goes, is this a test? It does add to the whole arc story, but it doesn't pull you out of it at all. So it's also one that they're talking about mercy that has a happy ending. Um, it's good for introduction. You know, she asked them about time travel, how they affect it, why can't they change it, or can they change it, all that kind of fun stuff. So, yeah, I would put it in the first category, new anybody. 
Same, same here. I agree with all that. I think it's good for new. I, I don't think it's the most compelling episode. And I wouldn't show it to someone, a new viewer, who is doubtful if they'd like it or not. Because um, they would probably watch it like, that oh, was okay, and then never want to watch it again. <laughs> but I, I agree with all that. It's got all the elements for a new person to be like, oh, okay, I get it. Um, I'm just gonna be way different and I'm gonna put in Die Hard because I find it very forgettable episode. I think I, I, I like the guest stars, but I don't like, like, I like those actors, but I feel nothing for any of their characters in this episode. So overall, I just find this episode very forgettable. And for that reason, it's in the Die Hard category for me. Well, I, I don't think I'm going to go as far as Kelsey, but, um, Personally, I, I would not suggest this to a new viewer. So I'm going to say casual because I don't like it is it is fun. The actors, you know, are all big names, but for the reasons that it, it doesn't end well, you know, I don't want to leave that bad taste in somebody's mouth like at the end. So maybe maybe if we had like only a half hour to watch something, I'd be like, yeah, let's start this and then never come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, but, uh, <laughs> excellent. But I'm going to say casual. Um, I like this episode, or I grew to like this episode. My original opinion of this episode was not great. So when I revisited, I was expecting to have that come back. But for some reason, given the time that has passed, I was able to enjoy it. It is a bottle episode, but it doesn't feel like one because I think they utilize the set of the submarine very well. It does remind me of Warriors of the Deep, if that was done with a better budget and a modern budget. I really enjoy the motivation of Skaldak. I just wish that there was a better conclusion. And the way that they handled the coverage of him, like Jaws, that felt very, um, it felt nice that they didn't show the uh, the lumbering monster that the uh, that the Ice Warriors have been known for in Classic Who. We, we are again following the pattern of a new companion. The first episode being a modern day episode, which is uh, the Bells of St. John. The next episode being Rings of the Catton, where we go to the future. And then now this third episode with Clara, or this particular Clara, is Cold War that is in her Don't past. Don't you say it. Oh, you bastard. <laughs> her past, not anyone else. <laughs> oh, it's in the past. It's in the past. It's vintage. And um, what, it, what, what do they say now? Pearl Jam is classic rock, so that's how we know it's old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in this episode that I found myself able to enjoy. So I think anybody can watch this and get enough out of Doctor Who. So I'm going to put it into the new category. Uh, so that wraps up Cold War. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everyone. And we will see you next time when the future becomes the present. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. All our episodes are engineered by Auburn. You can find him at auburnbinkley.com. You can also find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. Visit our Facebook page. Please leave comments, reviews, and click like to help support Who Knew Podcast. To listen to our show on your Amazon Echo device, enable the AnyPod podcast skill. Ask AnyPod to play the Who Knew Podcast. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who. The longest-running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival, spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, Delia Derbyshire, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain. So now that we've gone through the cast... <laughs> <laughs> I know. Sorry, Eugene. Yeah, Eugene does the end, but this one had so many people. Yeah, yeah we were, I just that, kept recognizing people. We didn't realize at the time, yeah, you know, yeah. when we first watched it. So. We're going to read. I mean, unless there's nothing else, Brian can read. Brian can read? No, sorry. <laughs> can he read Russian? No. <laughs> I'm getting good at it. I can read, I can read my Russian contact names in Cyrillic now. Oh.